Okay, so I've got a question. Why was the JavaScript reality show canceled after only one episode? Because people thought it was scripted. They, they thought it was scripted. Good morning, you beautiful designers and developers, you. I am Michael Feenan, and you're listening to Real Time Overview, the only podcast that comes to you every week with the hottest and latest web development headlines across the web. Actually, I don't really know that any of what I just said was true, but hey, sounds good if I put it that way once, doesn't it? At any rate, let's get started with a little article over at Medium. When you interact with enough agencies over time, you'll learn about the almost religious status that their process can take in sales pitches. So Greg Podunovich has recognized that and has put together a broader approach that reviews how his company, Expand the Room, deals with this subject. The problem with processes is that over time, they've all started to sort of blur together and they define deliverables as sort of similar vague variants of you know pretty common concepts whether you define the problem or iterate on solutions or test outcomes these traits no longer differentiate successful firms they're more like just concepts to check boxes on more than anything so let's face it you do enough work and you find you have to flex many of these process steps anyway so this is where Greg comes in. His article, The Eight Principles of Purpose-Driven Design, looks at how you can create truly unique principles by which your process is informed. Process needs to not get in the way of work. It needs to be a utility, but remain flexible and adapt to the work that's present. Principles are designed to help you determine if you are adapting the process in a way that is true to your organization's goals. Without going through the whole article, a couple of the examples of Expand the Room's principles are usefulness depends on empathy, and collaboration requires learning. These represent ideas the organization believes in that they want reflected in their process for building solutions for clients. If you're interested in learning about how you can put more of your organization's personality into their work, take a few minutes to see how Expand the Room is doing it. Next up, let's talk about what Joe Forshaw lovingly refers to as a steaming pile of spaghetti garbage. That is, of course, CSS. His article, CSS, The Bad Bits and How to Avoid Them, discusses exactly that. Putting together a list of bad CSS techniques you should avoid when writing code to make your result cleaner. CSS is sort of an interesting piece of web development kit that has evolved in a time when many things about websites were themselves still evolving. As such, it reflects both the value of its immense flexibility, but also the cost of missing features that have been added by other frameworks since. His list isn't incredibly long, but it is the start of what might become an ongoing list of complaints to be mindful of. Right now, you can enjoy his view on the problems that many a front-end developer has encountered, like leaky style scoping and specificity wars and z-index carpet bombing. This article itself isn't a long one, but there's always some nice catharsis to be found in reading someone else's rant on a problem that you yourself have faced in your own work. 
The popular code editor Atom has released their version 1.25 update. Atom has rapidly become the text editor of choice for many developers, digging into the audience that was once dominated by Sublime. The latest update isn't a huge one, but includes a number of improvements you might want to keep your eyes on. These include improved GitHub diff viewing, improvements that affect code tokenizing for Python and HTML, and a big update to the code folding infrastructure using a utility that they call TreeSitter that makes the process much more intelligent than was previously possible. I like this for a mention in today's episode because I'm an Atom user myself and have definitely found it to be a great utility for my work style. If you're looking for something to switch to, or still trying to add tools to your toolbox for coding, keep Atom in mind. This is your heavy hitter, don't miss link for the week. Envision has put out a research project called the Design Genome Project. What makes this interesting is that they reviewed the work being done at 15 different large companies and figured out what it was about their processes that helped them be successful. This particular research also happens to dovetail well with the earlier article we talked about from Greg Padunovich. They went to companies like Netflix and Slack and Pinterest and others and put together entire profiles on their design culture to review. Just to give you an idea, reviewing Slack's genome will show you that they have a 1 to 11 designer to engineer ratio, that they include 45 designers, and the head of design is their highest ranking position. It goes over the process they use throughout the year from kickoff to launch for projects and features. You get a review of how their organizational design is set up to empower the division. You'll even get the quick list of tools their team uses to build and collaborate with. Fair warning. Yes, this is entirely a well-marketed and painted case study system that was created to help Envision sell their own product. And yes, their content is gated behind a request form, so don't be surprised if you get put on a mailing list. But I think the quality of the content here is well worth that. Just because it is marketing content doesn't mean it's bad. There's some seriously good stuff in the Design Genome Project, even if you work for just a small firm or you're a freelancer, it can be incredibly helpful understanding how larger organizations operate because you may have to deal with them even if you don't work for one. And if you come away with any ideas of your own to adapt their success to yours, then even better. We'll end today with one for all the remote workers out there. Michael Johnson at Creative Overflow has put together a guide for successfully working from home. As a remote worker myself, I want to first point out that a lot goes into being successful away from the office, and that while it might sound appealing, it's a fast way to set yourself up for failure if you don't approach it properly. To that end, Johnson hits on several recommendations that I absolutely agree with and think are worth reviewing if you're also remote or freelancing or looking at doing that. For instance, he mentions not skimping on equipment. His point specifically refers to things like monitors and software, things that would be important to a designer. But I would extend that to also making sure that you have a good work desk, that you've spent money on a high-quality chair, a comfortable keyboard, and anything else that goes into your working environment ergonomics. You're going to spend a lot of time in that space, and it's worth investing in for yourself. And just because you work from home doesn't mean you always have to work in your home. It's okay to escape and find a different space to work from and change your perspective, get some fresh air. Johnson's recommendations are just a few among many that make for a successful remote working environment. 
If you're interested in more, stop by our show notes, and I'll also include a link to Jason Fried's book, Remote. Jason is one of the founders of Basecamp, and his book is an excellent exploration of remote working. Thanks a lot for joining us today for Real-Time Overview. I am your host, Michael Feenan. As always, you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter at DrunkenUX. You can follow me at Feenan. That's F-I-E-N-E-N. Join us. Coming up Monday, we'll have the next episode of the Drunken UX podcast where we will be looking at learning materials and ways to get into a web development career. Until next time, keep your personas close and your users closer.